Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts in residence and pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. On Monday, May 20th, Amy Nelson's gonna come on, and we're gonna talk social media, but specifically how to drive revenue and connect with important stakeholders that matter to you in your business using social media. The next day, we have Noshin Chen, and she's gonna lead a presentation about how to become a better communicator, how to increase those skills faster, because that's gonna help you not just connect with new people, new clients, but also get your idea across better ton of takeaways in that presentation. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage workshop series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. What does success in community look like? Is it getting hundreds and thousands of customers and just grow, grow, grow and giving yourself lots of work? Well, our guest today, Tom Ross, went there and literally got himself hospitalized from the burnout. And so we're going to learn his story and the more sustainable path that he found in the aftermath. So stay tuned and learn more about sustainable community growth on this episode of The Community Experience. Okay. Hey, hey. Hello. Uh, what's up, everybody? Tony Bacigalupo here. Jillian Benbo in the house. So Tom Ross is an amazing story. I came up in like a tech culture and same, same. You know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was such a strong culture of hustle, 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 hustle. It's the internet. There's unlimited opportunity. You can build a startup and be the next yahoo.com or you know, it was like a lot of this sense of like a really powerful gold rush kind of a culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all see it. The tech culture has spilled over when you get funding. That's a that's a make or break for a community culture. Nothing can crush a community culture faster than hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And I mean, I, I've worked with friends who have had funded startups. And I remember they said, you know, like money's not even an issue. We'll spend the money on whatever we need to spend it on. We just need to grow so incredibly fast. Like we need to hit these insane numbers in order to meet our expectations. And that can be, you know, hugely challenging, but it's not just a venture capital thing and maybe not just a tech startup thing either. It's maybe a cultural thing as well. And unless you're really proactive about thinking about 
wait a minute, you know, <laughs> is this healthy? Is this sustainable? Then it's going to hit you at some point. Yeah. And I think like we were saying, it it's very prevalent in tech, but it makes sense that people who are starting their own businesses kind of follow the startup culture. There's a balance between finding something sustainable that has like an ROI, if you will, um, whether that's financial or just fulfillment in some way. And, and just like making these crazy goals for the sake of being able to say you did it and then either turn around and sell that idea to other people, like the six figure launch type trope or whatever. But I would really challenge that way of thinking. I don't think it's healthy. And I think Tom really gets into that quite literally. It is not healthy. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to get into that conversation in a moment. I think one of the other things to keep in mind is that especially when you're building a community, this is all that much more important because you can't just treat your people like statistics. And I think when we get into where Tom went after his burnout journey, we'll learn a little bit more about what it's like to build sustainably and in a way that really treats humans like humans, which I think is great. What do you say, Jill? Shall we do it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it. Tom Ross, hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Tony, Jillian. It's an honor to be here. Welcome to the program. We're really glad to have you here. Wanted to just start with, you know, tell us your life story in just a few minutes, if you don't mind. Okay, I'll give you the very sped up version. I started when I was like 12 years old and I was sat there with my best friend. He right-clicked on a web page, hit view source, and it spat out all this HTML. And it was like the first time I saw the matrix. I was like, oh my God, people make these things. And a couple of kids, we, we started making websites together and doing all these random projects through school. Some of them were just pie in the sky dreaming. Some made a little money. And we kind of just you know grew these projects from there. Over the years, I did everything from client services, design, marketing, freelancing, all that good stuff, blogging. And I always loved communities. So when I was a teenager, I was a huge fan of the band Interpol to like a nerdy degree, especially the first two albums. Amazing. And I started a fan site, a, a website, just documenting all this stuff and a fan forum. And it got so popular that it actually, I think at one time was busier than the official band forum. It had like a quarter of a million posts. At one point, people spent their lives on this thing and it was insane. And that was my first real exploration into community. I was like, this is super fun. Like I'm making really good friends here. I get to geek out over this common interest and it was amazing. And from there, it didn't make any money, obviously, because it was like a band community fan forum thing. And so I came to the false um, assumption that, oh, community and all this people stuff is fun and it's what speaks to me, but it's not really business. And all the internet marketers on Google are telling me that I need to be focused on driving insane traffic and funneling people and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, I kind of want to do this internet stuff. I'm going to educate myself. And you can imagine a lot of the stuff that came up was like very sleazy internet marketing and telling me the wrong stuff. And I followed it, not in terms of treating people badly, but in terms of focusing on vanity metrics and things of that nature. Build a blog. The marketing worked to some extent. That got 15 million visitors over a few years. And I was like, oh my God, like I've made it. You know, I, I, I can do marketing. And what transpired was it was very hollow. It was just 
empty, like meaningless metrics, terrible time on site. The revenue kind of helped pay through college, but it wasn't like a scalable, sustainable business. And I, I felt really disillusioned. I then went and joined a membership community for entrepreneurs. And I, I got some mentorship from the founders. They kind of set me straight in terms of like, it's not about all that stuff. It's not about the sleazy marketing. It's about the people. It's about serving like a well-defined audience, building community around it. And everything started to align. I was like, oh, so the stuff that spoke to my heart can also be effective business. Maybe this is the sweet spot. I, I kind of became one of their like, I think it was Fizzle, the community, if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. Pat's actually spoken there and so on. So I became a a Fizzle whiz because I was like one of their kind of success stories, I guess. And on the back of their incredible mentorship, I started also binge listening to a lot of Gary Vee back in the day. This was like early stage Gary Vee basically screaming in your face to hustle harder. So I took all my community knowledge and my marketing knowledge. I took all my Gary Vee hustle And I started my company about eight years ago. And we literally had like no business plan, no revenue goals, no growth goals. My one goal was I've done a big hollow audience and I want to build the most engaged community I've ever seen. That was like my one starting goal. So I started the company. I literally made best friends with our first two, 300 customers. I was jumping on -on one-on-one phone calls. People used to message me and say, when do you sleep? Because I get back to every email within two minutes super unsustainable. You know, I knew about their families and hobbies and they knew about mine, built these really deep relationships, created an ambassador program where we got these early customers and built with them and got their feedback and iterated the product very rapidly and, and tried to connect them as much as possible. As a result of that early community and great product market fit, the company just took off like a rocket in the first year. I was working 18 hour days, seven days a week for a year and a half. I managed to hospitalize myself, burn out horrendously, have major surgery, become chronically ill for years to follow. And the whole time I was like bed bound and looked like a shell of a human. I was keeping the company going, trying to sustain culture and look after our team and maintain payroll. And then take a breath. More recently, the company's eight years old. It's continuing to scale. It's much healthier. We've got an incredible team. I've learned a lot of lessons about work-life balance and not acting like a moron, working yourself to death. And alongside that, my side hustle is teaching community, which I do under my personal brand. And I get to talk to awesome people like you on that topic. I don't know if that was five minutes, but there you go. Oh, that wasn't a uh, specific edict anyway, but I appreciate you. (laughs) Thank you so much. We need, you know, other people who are maybe going to potentially end up following in your footsteps to you know, maybe hear stories like yours and head off the hospital. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, thank you. I I try and speak out about it a lot. And you can see younger, earlier stage entrepreneurs going down that same path and doing what I did, which is you see all the red flags and you have good people around you telling you this isn't sustainable. And you're like, I'm different. I'm going to power through. And I think, thankfully, there's a healthier narrative around mental health and and balance these days compared to a decade ago. Yeah, I'd like to really hope that there is this narrative shift. I remember when I was kind of coming up, I was in the tech scene and I was also a community builder. And there was such a strong sense that if you're not, you know, working 18 hour days and sleeping under your desk, then, you know, you're not a serious entrepreneur and you're not really going to make it. And I just feel like, there's a lot of examples being set. And part of why I'm so passionate about SPI is because we're really 
encourage that embodiment of you know a healthy, sustainable entrepreneurial lifestyle. Okay, so here's what I'm curious about. I burned out, but not nearly as bad as you did, but you bounced back so much higher. One day you're in the hospital, and then now you're here doing all this awesome stuff. How did you get back on your feet, and how did you find the willpower and the the metal to like go back into this world knowing where you ended up the first time it actually took me a while because there were some very deep-rooted bad habits that i'd been absorbing so the dumbest thing was i went through this horrendous experience and literally i was like bed bound for a while i was on a liquid diet i dropped like i'm a naturally slim guy anyway but i dropped like i'm trying to do it in pounds I think that's what you use in America. I, I, I dropped like, you know, nearly 30 pounds very quickly. I could barely stand. Like it, it really wasn't good. And when I went back to work, I actually started trying to hustle again. <laughs> Believe it or not, even after all that, I was like, okay, well, I've had the surgery. Let's get back at it. And that didn't work. My body was like, nope. I think there were a few things. So first of all, the trajectory of the company was so good I wouldn't say that this helped it. This probably did hinder it, but it kind of like stalled the growth. So it continued to grow naturally, but not as quickly as if I was at 100%. So I think that's one part. It also forced me to delegate. So that was the kind of big silver lining. Before I was trying to do everything myself, I was such a control freak. You know, we hit seven figures and I think I'd only hired like one part-time staff member at that point. And I, I was the only full-time staff member running a, a seven-figure business, which is ludicrous, right? Completely unsustainable. So yeah, this totally forced my hand and we very aggressively started scaling out a team. And now we have a team of over 20 people and they're incredible. And we're doing things that we never could have done when we were smaller. And I think as well, like this is the truth I still struggle. So I have some residual, albeit much milder health conditions even now where I've kind of been ongoingly seeing a doctor. And ironically today, for whatever reason, I had my worst health day this morning in months. I'd actually had a pretty good run, but like earlier I was on meetings with my team. I had my video off. Like I looked super ill. I've got a bit more color in my face now, but like it's been a bad day. So this is not necessarily the triumphant, you know, story of victory. This is like, if you act in a, a stupid way and you work yourself into the hospital, there can be some long-term repercussions. But I, I love what I do. I show up. I do so with more self-compassion and more balance now. And I, I just do what I can. Tom, my respect for you just went up even more. <laughs> I'm curious what you look for now. Like you said, this morning, you could tell like you were off. You felt off. Are there other things that kind of signal to you that, ooh, I'm, I might be pushing it too hard? Or even are there policies with your, your company for your employees that are like, hey, take the time you need? Or how do you recognize when the burnout is bubbling up and so that you can proactively you know, take a step back? One thing I never did was impose my kind of hustle mentality on my team. I was very clear on that. I have friends that work for startups where the CEOs, they're saying, if you're not here you know, at midnight with me, then you're not part of our culture. So I actually think we've got a, a culture predicated on balance. We're very bullish about allocating time off and trying to support people, whether it's mental health, physical health, balance, et cetera. With myself, I actually have a checklist because I think otherwise, if you just have the vague intention of like, oh, I should try to live in a healthy capacity, that's too ephemeral. 
So I have things like I have to get eight hours sleep. I have to drink enough water. I have to try and eat at reasonable times. I can't work beyond a certain number of hours each day. Otherwise that becomes unsustainable. And there's about 10 things on this list. And I call it like my self-care list. And I have this theory that burnout actually comes from an absence of self-care, even more so than simply overwork in isolation. Because you can actually work pretty hard if you're also sleeping and eating right and looking after yourself. That's more sustainable than if all that stuff goes out the window. Like if you have no self-care, but you're working even like 10, 12 hours a day, then you can burn out pretty quick. It sounds like, you know, there's this adage that keeps coming up in so many other contexts of what you pay attention to grows. And that in a lot of cases, if you're focusing on the problem, then the problem just continues to have this primacy in your life. So if it's, you know, hustle, 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 oh no, my hustle is a problem. I need to hustle less or I need to manage it better. You're still focusing on the problem area where you're suggesting maybe nurture the solution space and then that will help kind of fortify you. Yeah, I think mentally as well. I, I went and saw a therapist. I had to build this team around me. After, like it was that bad. So I got a therapist, I got a personal trainer, I got a dietitian to like try and rebuild me a few years ago. And the therapist said this really interesting thing. She said, your inner voice is completely devoid of self-compassion. Where I was like, failure is not an option. You have to do more. It's not good enough, all this kind of stuff. So now I'm very hot on self-compassion. And I really think this maps to community and indeed all you know, online business, et cetera. But within community, there's always more work to be done, right? I literally could give you a list of a hundred things that I know would improve my community, help grow it, progress it faster than ever. And the self-compassion is saying, okay, I'm going to appreciate what I have been able to achieve. I'm not going to judge myself for what I haven't achieved. And also the realization that once I do those hundred things, there's going to be another hundred things waiting because the work's never done. So now I just kind of go along at a, you know, a reasonable pace, but like much more sustainably. And I think I'm in this for 20 plus years. I have time. I don't need to rush through it all now. Absolutely. It seems like a common confluence that people who have really strong ambition and drive have that drive because of something about how they're wired psychologically. And then running a business, running a community, those are things that will consume everything you give it. And there will always be more. It seems to be a pretty consistent path to injury and burnout unless you recognize that that danger and that dynamic, you know, and catch it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it really follows the pattern, I think, of addiction in that often the harder you work, the better your community does. And the better your community does, the harder you want to work. I like to say community never sleeps. <laughs> yeah. Like community in and of itself is an organism. And so I think being able to accept that and know, and depending on the community too, right? Because I've, I've run some communities that fight and when they turn, if you don't catch it early, it turns into a, it's just a waterfall of, <laughs> of a, just drama. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, there's this, um, in my past, some of the most burnt out I've been working in community was this, well, I have to make sure I'm checking in to prevent fights and just the like dumpster fire that happens afterwards. And it's so important in community to recognize community never sleeps and community is messy. And so you do your best, you have guidelines, you have protocols, but then you give yourself permission to not be there 24 seven. And it's huge. 
Is it kind of, I'm not a parent yet, but I'd imagine it's maybe like parenting in the sense that the truth is always somewhere in the middle, right? It's always balanced. So with parenting, you don't want to just let your kids run amok and do whatever and be totally hands off and be like, sure, run into that like dangerous part of town, eight-year-old, like good luck to you. But equally, you don't want to be a helicopter parent where every microsecond you're overseeing and imposing what they do. And if you map that to community, to your point, Jillian, it's like, well, you can take a weekend and let the community quote unquote suffer temporarily because people will probably learn from that. You'll learn from that. It would, you know, hopefully it's going to come out stronger and it's up to you to kind of get things back on course, but you can't be there every waking second. And I don't think that's healthy either, right? For you or the community, you have to give it some free reign. You know, and I think with a very healthy community, because you're modeling behavior, because you have the rules of engagement, community guidelines, that kind of thing. I feel like the people who are there who really want to be there and really get a lot out of it, they will self-regulate the community without you. So if something's getting a little weird, they might tell someone, you know, like, oh yeah, well, we don't do that here. We have this community guideline, so we don't do that. And so communities that are well-run and and have a, you know, an engaged all you need is a few core leaders, you know, within your community, they'll uphold what the community should be doing in your absence. Yeah, I, I think that's a great distinction. And this is, now that I'm running a community for community builders, this is a very common mistake I see people doing. They think it all has to come from them. Yeah, uh, yeah. They think all the answers has to come from them, all of the knowledge, people always need to defer to them as the community leader. And really, that's more of a membership site, right, than a community. The nature of community is the value and power of the collective. And I love trying to constantly loop in people within the community that have greater expertise than me, or even if they don't have greater expertise, they just have a different perspective. And so I have to hold back because I, I get very passionate. I'm like, here's the answer is what I want to say. But I have to hold back and be like, well, maybe this person has an interesting answer before I jump in. Yeah, I love having open-ended conversation and encouraging that. So people feel the advocacy to do that, to, to jump in and give their opinion. I totally agree because I'd rather have a conversation with five people who have completely different backgrounds and life experiences than me just saying, yeah, we're going to do it this way. And, and of course, it depends on the community. I agree with your distinction between a membership and a community. You know, ours is kind of a kind of in between in that because we do definitely like lead it. People are paying for it. We offer programming and services. But one thing that always brings me joy in any community, but especially in pro is if someone asks a question that's kind of like to do with their membership or where do I find this? And a bunch of people hop in and answer. Like basically people, if the community can replace me as their community manager with the like help and guidance and things because they know and they're eager to help because that's the kind of community it is, right? That makes me just so happy. So getting super practical, we actually run two communities on Circle. So I have my personal brand community, my company Design Cuts runs a Circle community now as well. And we're just in the process now of actually recognizing a lot of these power users by giving them titles. And I think what's been done historically is people say, oh, they're a, a moderator and they apply this, this blanket terminology. And what we're trying to do is we've actually created personas based on how people behave and the positive contributions they make. So we have teachers 
who share really helpful tips and tricks and tutorials and you know love to educate we have helpers who are always going and answering questions before we even get to them we have guides who are very good at like pointing people in the right direction like you just alluded to jillian or welcoming new members and we have supporters that are always there like leaving nice feedback when people share their creative work by doing this we're essentially building a team from our power users but with clearly defined roles so that suddenly we have more teachers teaching, more helpers helping, more supporters supporting and so on. And I think that's a much better approach than just like, here's five moderators, wherein that title feels kind of draconian and like their one job is to like delete posts that conflict with guidelines. Mod caps. <laughs> yeah. Are you recognizing that someone fits the teacher avatar and you're reaching out and inviting them? Or are they asking to join or is like, how, how do you go about that? Currently, we are seeing their behavior. And then we're reaching out. So we literally have people that are putting together like incredibly comprehensive tutorials. And it's like, wow, they clearly just, you know, get a kick out of doing this and love helping other people. So we want to empower that, encourage it and recognize it. And another distinction of this, I I don't know if you do anything similar, but we're putting a, a time cap on these roles. So we're saying, would you like to be a teacher for the next three months? And then at the end of three months, we can say, how's the experience been? Do do you want to continue it? Because I think what people often do is they apply these titles kind of for life. And then if someone drops off after five months, they're stuck with this title. Other members are kind of finding them in the member directory and trying to direct things their way. And they may be inactive at that point. Yeah. I talk, I talk about this a lot, but continuity is the end uh, or a perpetuity is the enemy, you know, that you're, it's just going to set you up for something to go wrong later. Yeah. Don't even get me started on lifetime memberships. I've I've had some (laughs) debates on Twitter about this. A one-time fee for life for my community. And then three years later, you're getting zero cash flow. And if it's a paid community, but people are still expecting that service from you. And it's an unsustainable model, in my view. Have you read the stories of the airlines that sold the lifetime passes? Oh, it's incredible. I haven't. That one guy that... (laughs) They needed cash, right? Like The airlines were short on cash and they did this deal where they would sell a lifetime unlimited flights for like a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. And some people bought it and they did the math and figured out that, you know, essentially they really could get their money's worth. And the airlines absolutely brutally regretted it. And then to the point where they ended up deploying like a task force of lawyers to figure out how to get some of these people to to be considered in violation of their agreement to get them off of the ledger because they were costing them millions of dollars a year. It's a really awesome story. Back to these titles, for lack of a better term, are you setting expectations when people accept? Like, okay, you're a teacher now. This is what you need to do. Or is it just like, keep on keeping on and you assume that they'll they'll keep behaving the same way? Great question. Yeah, we are setting expectations, but I think I think there's a middle ground, right? I think it's more like gentle guidance in the form of expectations, because what we don't want to do is say, you didn't share your tip this week. We're going to retract your your teacher, Monica, because they're doing it for free at the end of the day, right? They're really doing us a favor. It's not like holding someone to KPIs within a, a paid role. So yeah, gentle guidance. I suppose a lot of it's in kind of how you frame the relationship and recruit so that their motivations should be aligned such that they would want to contribute in the way that we that you hope they will. Are you noticing any patterns in terms of 
who tends to work out for the better versus not? I think it often comes down to intrinsic motivation, which is something I've been trying to learn a lot about this year. And this is why it works well, I think, when they're already exhibiting those behaviors and you're just trying to amplify them. Something I have learned, particularly being deeper than ever in community this past year, is that people and humans are unpredictable through no fault of their own. And so what you often find is you'll get like an absolute power user who can become completely inactive and, and vice versa. And if you look at it just in terms of numbers and data, you can freak out and you can say, what's happening there? That's not right. I need to fix that. And often there's very human reasons. So I, I had this recently, I'd reached out to someone, is everything okay? I was thinking they used to be one of our, our most active users and they'd had some really terrible personal things happen to them. And immediately I shifted from insecurity of like, maybe they don't like the community. They think I'm doing a crappy job. I need to step my game up. Shifted immediately from insecurity into empathy and kind of embarrassment at my approach of thinking this was all about me somehow. I'm like, no, people have lives. People have lives outside of my community. And guess what their lives are and certainly should be a lot more important than my community is. It's almost like there's value in not overanalyzing things and not taking everything personally, recognizing the ego may be jumping in sometimes when you see a behavior and it's not, it's not always about you. <laughs> yeah, I said this um, for years, not even necessarily about community, but I think anxiety lives in the micro and kind of calmness and correct ways of thinking live in the macro. And what I mean by this is I, I still do it now, to be honest, but if I refresh like our revenue chart within my company, I can be there refreshing once an hour and feeling really anxious about the trends. But if I zoom out and see the wider trajectory and trends, I'm like, oh, okay, it's fine. And it's the same thing with our communities. I think it's unhealthy to put everything under a microscope all the time and overthink it. But obviously, if you zoom out and you see like a fundamental negative trend with like your churn or your growth rate or whatever it might be, well, then you need to address that. Sure. Yeah, you're, you're striking that balance because you don't want to stick your head in the sand either. You want to be keeping your eye on what's going on. It's really easy to get obsessed with engagement metrics and member behaviors and things like that, kind of like looking at a budget or like a profits and loss spreadsheet. And, and to your point, like being able to use metrics as a tool to inform yourself, but not become obsessed with to the point where everything happening in your community. If there's a dive in engagement, it's, it's very like, well, this is about me. What did I do? When in reality, it's like, oh, it's the holidays. It's going to nosedive right now. People are enjoying their families. I'm not going to frantically message everybody to be like, what are you doing? Did you see this post? You know, because this is, a, this is just, you know, traditionally in our culture anyways, a, a time that people do actually <laughs> log off. Um, and that's a good thing, right? And how dare they, right? <laughs> how dare they? <laughs> I have been working on this post for an hour and I want recognition. No, uh, but I've worked for companies in the past where they're just metrics obsessed. And in, in a way, it kind of ruins the community because you're turning it into this machine. And it's like, these are humans. These are people. You know, the funny thing, often when you really get people to deploy self-awareness on their own behaviors, they don't act the way that they want their members to, right? And this goes outside of community. This goes for audience building and social media. People will say, why are people not 
commenting all the time and like engaging like crazy and then they jump on their own instagram feed and mindlessly scroll through and don't double tap or comment on a single post and same thing with community right like they're probably there like too busy in their own life to really log in and if they are a lot of them are going to be passive members yeah in their own community everyone should be a power user it's not realistic oh i I just want to like get that printed on like a billboard (laughs) and put it in silicon valley I've noticed also, I've dealt with a lot of challenges coaching and consulting community builders, especially IRL ones, about how do you engage your community when nobody wants to be on Zoom, you can't be in person, and everyone's freaking out because there's a pandemic or something. And recognizing that you don't always need to force lots of engagement down people's throats. Maybe there's time when it's okay to not engage. Yeah, I totally agree. And and something I'm trying to do at the minute is structure my communities in a way that serves all different types of members and serves members as they transition through different behaviors. So what I mean by that is we will have live events that are very heavy on interaction. We have live events that are more passive. We will have interactive spaces in our circle forum. We will have a knowledge space in our circle forum where people can dig in and learn at their own pace and all kinds of other areas. And the whole point is we're catering for people that may be in a mood where they want to quietly learn at a time that suits them. And we're catering for the crazy extroverts in the community that just want to see other people's faces and everything in between. And I think where it's dangerous is where you just kind of offer one or two of those things and you neglect entire swathes of, of your membership. Yeah, absolutely. I, actually, I have a question for you guys. Yeah, if yeah, I may. yeah, yeah. This is something I'm thinking about a lot. I, I don't know if you can reveal or if you've got any plans at, at SPI with this. Go on. I'm looking to repurpose and repackage some of what's happening in the community and make it available to people outside the community in different ways and different tiered products and so on. Mm. Because I recognize that there's a lot of value in there, but not everyone wants to be tied into a subscription. Not everyone has time to participate in a community. Some of them you know, would pay to sit on one of our community workshops that was sold as an isolated webinar. Or if we got our whole knowledge base in the community, put it in Notion and put that behind a paywall and, as two examples. So we've talked about creating programming that's live, public, but that our pro members have free access to and otherwise is paid. So let's say we want to do a webinar or like a fireside about a topic or something like that. Anybody in our paid community has free access. If somebody outside of, our, of that community would like to come, it would there would be a paywall. And we've talked about the structure too of like, what if it was something, you know, whether with our team, with Pat, whoever, and then the people who could be interacting could be our members, but anybody could watch it. So like people who could ask questions or like have conversation or discussion would be members of our community, but then we would stream it. And so other people could consume it, but they wouldn't be able to interact on that level. We've talked about that sort of. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it kind of fits the models of on social media pillar content being redistributed into micro content. It also fits the models, which I know you guys do at SBI, where you have like your high ticket things and your low ticket things because you're catering to different people at different places. Yeah. I think what you're getting at, Tom, is a really, really interesting thing that I've thought a little bit about, which is just noticing, you know, man, I'm in this room where there is so much value being exchanged or, 
you know, I just wrote a comment in a thread that is so good. I feel like I could, that could be its own workshop or product or something. And so how do you capture all this value being generated all the time in a internal community? Certainly, obviously, without compromising the value of that community to the people who are the customers in that community. But, you know, breaking some stuff down into more bite-sized accessible pieces. Yeah, like imagine you do a live workshop in your community that's an hour and a half. Some people can't make that time zone or some people just don't have the schedule. So they want to watch the replay. There's other members that want to watch the replay, but don't have an hour and a half to spare. And so what if it then gets cut up into a text format or, you know, a summary bullet points or whatever it might be. So again, you're kind of meeting people where they're at in all different formats. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. So long as I think where things like this get tricky, and I'm not saying this is what you're doing, just in general for the, for the audience listening, is when the content provided is from either a member or something like that, and then you're turning it into a paid product, it gets kind of gross. But if it's you and your team and you're presenting a workshop, absolutely. I mean, it's your content, right? So I think where the fine line is, is I know that your membership provides more value than just the content of that workshop. Um, So you're not going to lose members who are like, well, I don't even need to pay for this because I can just get all the information from this like snippet product or, you know, whatever it is you make from it. But no, I mean, I think it's it's a great idea. You should try it. Yeah, it's like a live brainstorming session now. I like it. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Because I'm already doing it within the community and that's working super well, providing these different formats. But now I'm like, well, should I repurpose these outside the community? Because like I say, not everyone loves a subscription, et cetera. Yeah. I think it's it's definitely worth a test, right? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, um, I'm very bullish on Circle and events and these different community models. I'm still a bit of a noob with Discord. I'm more of a user. I haven't really run Discord communities. And so I said to one of our members, they posted like a little paragraph about Discord. I was like, wow, you seem to know your stuff. Like, do you mind doing a new post, like outlining some tips? They wrote like a freaking dissertation on Discord, which actually Jay on your team was posting about. I then got the member's permission, sent the summary to Jay, who was like, this is like gold. This is so in-depth. And I think that just speaks to the power of, again, those different perspectives, different expertises, and you not having all the answers, even in your own community, where you're meant to be the expert. I need, I would love to see that post. I, I'll send it to you. I'll get that permission again. I would love to see it. Yeah, if they if they don't mind. Because, I, I, you know, I, um, I am a Patreon member for a few creators, and they all have like Discord communities. And I just don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I get, I guess if you're like a gamer, I can kind of, but I just don't get it. It's like, it's like Slack, but different enough that I'm like, I don't understand this. Can we just do this on Slack? And then I feel old. So I'd love to just, you know, (laughs) feel like I can be there. (laughs) I'd love to have this debate because we're, we're really speaking to synchronous versus asynchronous communities. And I find it's very black and white with people. They seem to have a a strong preference. And for me, I think why I love Circle is I really like forum structure communities and synchronous communities like Discord and Slack scare me a little bit because I I go in, I've lost track of where the conversation is at. I, I feel like it's almost too demanding of me. I like to be able to drop in, get some value and drop out or contribute some value, then drop out. But other people are the total opposite and they're like forums are a turnoff. It has to be synchronous or I just don't engage. It's so true. I'm like a, a Reddit lover. Like I love the forum based where I can just, I like to lurk because as a community builder, 
to be like in a community, I mostly just sit on the side and, you know, I might comment here and there, but because it's what I do, I know I'll just take it over if I, if I get too involved because I can't help myself. Right. So out of respect for the the people who run other communities, I usually like kind of really hold myself back unless it's, you know, depending what it is, there's a couple that I'm all in, but yeah. And then I'll get like, um, I'm in a couple Slack communities and same thing. I find I don't want to be there all day, every day. And so when I do log in, it's just like, you're so behind because people have these fun conversations that if you're not there for it and like reading through it, it's just not the same as like reading through a hilarious Reddit thread. You know, when I love those communities, Jillian, when, and sorry to interject, um, when I was like 15, 16 years old running my (laughs) Interpol community, because (laughs) I didn't have a mortgage and a wife and a day job (laughs) and a side hustle. So I could sit there all day long chatting for five hours about my favorite things. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'm in one that's like a, like a mental health startup sort of one. Cause I used to work in, in that world and even that, right. It's like a pretty dry, it's a lot of like what's in the news, job openings, people hiring, that kind of stuff. And even that I'll go in there. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's just so much in here. I don't even know where to start because I, I haven't been in here for two weeks, but then like our work, our work slack, cause I'm on it 40 plus hours a week. Like we I had a totally derailed conversation <laughs> yesterday about we basically created a um, holiday movie that was West Side Story meets I don't even know what I don't even remember, but it was dogs in space. You know, like it was just this like 60 messages of complete shenanigans. that was so much fun at the time. Do you mind if I just share a kind of uh, a passing thought, if I may, about community? Please save me from this random Disclosure, I just gave the the internet. No, I love yes, please. <laughs> Something I see a lot with community, and the reason I want to touch on this is I believe community is booming right now and will continue to boom. And whilst it's been around forever, technically, I feel like we're still so early. And with anything that has this huge wave, this bell curve, I think a lot of people jump in without fully understanding it. What I'm seeing increasingly is, oh, community is the hot new thing. Or people tell me I should have a community, therefore I'm just going to jump right in with both feet and launch a community. And then invariably it fails. And I think actually there's a huge amount of lessons in wider business and marketing. And this is, I think, why our community is, has been quite successful so far is because I was able to leverage what I've learned in business and, and apply it to communities. So things like getting a clear value proposition, defining your ideal member, validating So my current community, I said, I don't want to launch this unless I can get close to a hundred founding members. So when I validated it and got several hundred applicants, I was like, okay, this is good. But if I got 20, then it would have been terrible. And then within the validation, you have all of the discussions to ascertain what they want from a community like this. Do they want it asynchronous or synchronous? And you can really get to the heart of their expectations and build around them. And it wasn't until I'd done all of this that I then went, oh yeah, I need to go build this thing. And I think people get it the other way around where they're like, oh, community, that's hot. I'm going to build a community, shout about it. No one's going to sign up. The people that do are going to kind of trickle in really slowly and there's going to be no critical mass and they're going to leave because it's a a catch-22 and it's an empty party. I mean, I'm, I'm sure like a lot of what I've described, you guys see all the time, right? but it's, it's such a common set of pitfalls and it's so avoidable if you just go through things in like the correct order. 
rather than having it back to front. I see, I see it all the time. And it's funny because I see two sides of it. So I see that side where people are like, ooh, shiny new thing. I'm going to do it. And they, exactly as you said, they spend more time thinking about the end result than the than the on-ramp. And the on-ramp is so critical to for community to exist and flourish. But then I also see it, and I see this with our members in pro that want to start a community. We often help them with just some steps to like, ask people, start a waiting list of who would, who would want to join, like get an idea of who's interested, that kind of thing. Like they're scared to start one because they're afraid no one will join. But then when they go through the steps and do it, their community is great. It takes off. And granted, I think the, uh, the barrier to entry, you know, varies. Like I, depending on who you are and what kind of community, whether it's a hundred people to go or 20 people to go, you know, it can depend. So yeah, it is, it is funny. I agree that, I mean, community is here to stay and it's just going to keep going, but a lot, a lot of the communities that are launching right now will not exist in the next year. The majority. Yeah. 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 Just because of it's become a buzzword. And I think the pandemic kind of accelerated because people are like, Oh, I need community. And maybe created something that worked for when they couldn't leave their house for two months. So I think just the nature of that alone is is challenging for digital community. People are like Zoom fatigue. There's just digital fatigue. You pretty much just described the trajectory of Clubhouse. There's like pa- pandemic boom oh, <laughs> and then ouch. slump of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's tricky. And I, th- I think people don't realize how much work community takes as well. No. And that's, that's, what's kind of irritating me right now. Like you were talking, you know, the whole hustle culture thing, which I have a lot of strong feelings about (laughs) that I'll save. But, um, you know, I think the same with this whole, like now people are trying to be like, Oh, I'll teach you how to launch a community and make it super profitable and blah, blah, blah. And like just the skeezy people selling course type things. And we sell courses. So I realize I'm talking about specifically like the people who are trying to sell you the idea that, community is easy and highly profitable. And it's like, anybody who tells you that don't give them your money because community is, I wouldn't say it's like, it's not hard, but it's ongoing. It's always ongoing. <laughs> like you, have, you don't you set it and consistent. forget it. You have to show up. You have to spin a bunch of plates. I kind of think, I'm curious what, what you think, Tony and Jillian, but I actually think it would benefit a lot of people to start by running a, a membership site before running a community. Because if you've never run either, that teaches you a lot of the fundamentals, right? You, you can look at providing value, how hard it is to get people to sign up and pay for something, how to deliver that value, the marketing that goes around it, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of that stuff will carry into community. But if you've never run either, you kind of have to learn all that stuff, plus managing relationships at scale, connecting people and all the human element of community. And I think that's where people get extremely overwhelmed. That's an interesting approach, I think I've looked at it in terms of breaking it down first with learning how to do event programming, which is like community gathering activity a la carte before you commit to a ongoing community. But I like the idea of that direction as well, where learn how to maintain a membership organization and then learn how to get good at community. I think, you know, if you have the inclination, it's not a bad idea. It's a tremendous point with events though. You're totally right. It's so fun to essentially run a community space for like two weeks and it's very high pressure. But a lot of people I think will come out of that thinking, I don't want to do that 52 weeks a year. That was exhausting. And then they kind of get that reality check of, okay, if I do this long-term, how am I going to do it sustainably? 
probably at a lesser extent than what an event demands of you. Oh boy. We have a, a beautiful thing happening in pro right now, which is so for the, you know, we, we host a lot of events, a lot, and they're more, um, hour long join a zoom, you know, whether it's a, a meetup about a specific topic or we have an expert come in and it's an ask an expert, that kind of thing. It's not like running an event, like what, what Tony was alluding to in his co-working past life where it's like beverages and, and speakers and like in person and like much, much higher touch. Um, so I'm not trying to take away from that, but we're in a place now where we opened up member-led events. So members can submit an event and host it. And we put it on our calendar and it's, you know, it's like a pro event, but member-led. That's cool. And it's just taking off. It took a while. It was a slow start, but we kind of figured it out. A lot of it was talking to people being like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And being like, okay, let's talk about that. Cause it's in like six places on the site. So where's the, what questions do you have? Anyways, it's just that journey. It's that ongoing work and investigation and figuring out like, oh, this thing we launched could do better. Do you sit in with them or they lead the whole thing autonomously? We have a kind of checklist for them to fill out, to be like, what is the event? What's the description? Is this within our community guidelines? Like you can't sell, it can't be like a, like I'm a, it's a webinar and no, buy my course. You know what I mean? So we kind of, we gut check it, but no, we don't, we let, like, if I can make it to one, I will, but we trust that they are, you know, they're just sharing knowledge with each other. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I love what I'm hearing there. And we're, we're kind of shifting towards similar things. So, you know, we do deep dives with members. They're not leading the whole thing. Cause I think they appreciate the support, but it's kind of like, I'm asking questions, but really they're the one sharing their journey. And I'm curious, actually, both of your thoughts on this. So when I define value propositions for community, I believe that the strongest value propositions are predicated in transformation. Because I think what a lot of people do is they list features and they say, oh, you should join my community because we have this many workshops a month and we have these features and we have this forum and and these eight bonuses. And I think that doesn't grab people. I think that's fine to kind of have further down your landing page. But I think the umbrella value prop is like being a member should take you from point A to point B. And where I think it's interesting to have member-generated content is when there's members that are one step beyond where other members are. So for example, in Learn Community, we have the transformation of doesn't have a community, wants to launch one. And we have runs a struggling community and wants to run a thriving community. And so we see that as members tip over into going from pre-launch to actually having a successful launch, that's when we can empower them to inspire other members, be it through a deep dive or like a Q&A led by them. And I think that resonates more than like, here's Tom sharing what worked like seven years ago on one of his previous launches. It's like, well, here's one of your peers that did this last week and was literally there a month ago discussing with you the anxiety around launching that you both share, but they've overcome it and they've launched and what lessons can you learn from them being just one step ahead of you? I think it's really powerful. It really is. Love that. I think it's time to um, to do some rapid fire, Tom. How do you feel? It totally is time. Terrified, but excited. <laughs> All right, Tom. When you were little, Tom, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was really little, something involving dinosaurs, because I was obsessed. When I was a little bit older, I did the um, lame quiz thing they give you at school where it spits out what career you have. And ironically, I think it was a tie between advertising and graphic design. And now I run a company 
that markets people's digital design products. So it was pretty close. <laughs> Were you devastated by that response, wanting to be like an archaeologist or like Jurassic Park-esque person? I, I'm still trying to figure out a way to shoehorn the dinosaurs into the current company. I haven't got it yet, but you know, here's hoping. There's time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Tom, how do you define community? I wondered if you were going to ask me this. I think the whole point, and I've heard you ask this on the show before, is that there doesn't seem to be one true definition. There's no wrong answers. Yeah, I think really it has to be a spectrum because I, I think what I've seen some people do is say like, here's a 12 letter acronym. And if it doesn't abide by every single part of this, it definitely is not community. And I think, I think it's much more a sliding scale than that. I think you get community in the sense of a closed community, which is I define as many people being able to talk to many instead of one talking to many. But then I think you can also get a sense of community where people feel part of a shared vision or ideology, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's all kinds of different stages between that. And I think, for example, with my company, yes, we have a circle community. Yes, we have Facebook groups. Yes, we have events. But before those things were launched, people absolutely were talking and saying, I'm a part of the community. I'm a community member. And I don't believe that turning on one platform suddenly creates community where there was none. I think it's kind of there the whole time. It's just that you need to create spaces for that community to fill. So I, yeah, hopefully that's not a wishy-washy answer, but I think it's a sliding scale and trying to pigeonhole it into one strict definition is problematic. I like it. I mean, it is. It's a, the hardest, easiest, hardest question to answer. <laughs> yeah. Whether or not you have an actual bucket list in that lens of thinking, what is something that would be on your your bucket list that you have done in your life? This is not going to sound like a, a wildly ambitious one, but we we moved out kind of to the country last year. And I'm a big believer in trying to create your idol life rather than let life happen to you. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, like you're manifesting it, I guess. I think through being intentional in that, we now look out the the window and see horses every morning and we have a happy little golden retriever that's like the soppiest dog in the world. And all of these things, you know, didn't happen by accident is because we were intentionally trying to shift towards it. And so definitely we've been here over a year now and every day we sound like a broken record, just like we're so lucky to live here. Like we appreciate it so much. We're so grateful. And I think that was a big bucket list thing where younger me could only have, have dreamt of that setup. I think you're really selling yourself short. That's a huge bucket list accomplishment. It's like your entire life, you know, like that's your every day or this part of your life. Okay. So what is something on your bucket list that you have not yet done, but would like to? I want to direct an indie film. Ooh. So I, I am film obsessed. I did film as my minor at college and it's one of those things I'm just too busy running my companies and all that stuff. Like I, I never have time and it takes a lot of time to do it properly. So Tom, we normally ask our guests, what is a book that they are either currently reading or just an all-timer that they just want everyone to know about? I'd love for you to answer that one. Cool. Books. I, I'm going to shout out one of your previous guests, I believe. So I, I recently read Business of Belonging by David Spinks. And the reason I love it, I'm really not very good with like generalisms or vague theory. I'm all about actionable, practical advice. And also I really learn from seeing how other people are doing it with real life case studies. And 
it sounds terrible. I'm almost always disappointed by books because of that volition where I'm like, ah, oh, that was kind of fluffy. And that book was just like pure action. And a lot of it was stuff that I was kind of doing, but I was nodding along because it was so validating. And then other stuff, there was kind of nuances in bits I wasn't doing. And, and I was like, that's genius. So yeah, respect to David for writing that. I felt very similarly. Yeah. It was great, right? Like I felt like, I was like, yeah, that's right. That is how you do that. <laughs> it was very validating. You, you, I was like, I do know Dave. what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. This question is going to be hard for you because I think you already really love where you live, as you said, very intentionally moved to where you are. But if you could live anywhere else in the world, where would that be? Loved Italy when we went pre-COVID, like just driving around Tuscany is insane. So that would be extremely high. Okay. Final question, Tom. How do you want to be remembered? (laughs) I had to try so hard there not to quote David Rent from the UK office. Where he's like, simply as the man who put a smile on the face of all who he met. <laughs> I won't go there. Um, I, yeah, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I want to be remembered as someone that gave more than they took at scale. And so I feel like we've had a real positive impact through my company with what I'm building with my personal brand and in the community space. I want to inspire a ton of people to start communities in the right way. I want to try and guide people to do it with kindness and honesty and empathy and, you know, the SPI approach. I think you guys are incredible with that as well within what's widely regarded as quite a sleazy industry in many ways. I think, you know, there's, there's organizations such as yours that get it so right, who I massively respect. So yeah, just, just that kind of, you know, scalable, positive impact. And I believe that community and entrepreneurship can have such an impact because it it ripples out right and even at a micro scale nothing's more exciting to me than running up to my wife and saying that guy we've been helping he can pay his mortgage now and when you magnify that by an order of just you know thousands and thousands it's um i think it's the most exciting thing oh absolutely you want to serve first that's what we say you made it Tom, let our audience know where they can find you and especially um, if they're interested in learning more about your communities. Sure. Um, Well, thank you again for having me on. This was actually super fun and the questions were not too terrifying. My community for community builders is at learn.community, which I am still so pumped I got the domain for earlier this year. (laughs) And my personal website is tomross.co, where I blog every week about community and try and make it super practical for people. And then I'm Tom Ross Media across all the socials. Oh, and I wrote a giant free book about community, which you can find at communitymanual.com. And I have too many links these days is my takeaway from that. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, seriously. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Tom. It's been such a pleasure. All right. So that was a conversation with Tom Ross and oh, so grateful to just hear somebody really, really tell the story in such a forthright way, you know, all the way through the ups and downs and coming out the other side, thankfully, in one piece. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine going through what he went through, but then having the, the gumption to, to put it out there and be like, look, I wrecked myself and this is what I learned from it, you know? I appreciate his candor with it. And word of warning to folks who are listening, if you're building something and it's starting to work and you're starting to feel this really strong feedback loop of 
this thing's growing and it's making me more excited and more ambitious, just try to remember that these stories exist. Check yourself. Keep an eye on what's going on for you. Yeah. I mean, and it's tough because there is healthy growth, sustainable growth. And then there's that very faint line where it it crosses over into toxic and burnout and, you know, what happened to Tom? And then treating people like humans. I think that helps keep you in check too, that if you're not talking about your users or your members purely from a statistical standpoint, but you actually have some decently meaningful real relationships with some of them, then that kind of helps you stay rooted and kind of helps them keep you rooted too, that they can call you out if they see that you're a little bit off kilter. Something along the lines of that, the remembering people are human. Remember that you're human. You too are human. And just the the empathy to self is important. If you're feeling super burned out or you're starting to you know physically feel sick, take a day. Do what you need to do. It's funny because we we talk about rituals in community and how important it is to have kind of ritual, whether it's a digital community or a group that you're a part of. It goes back to, you know, that empathy to self and self-care, creating a ritual for yourself, whether it's a daily ritual, whatever it is, maybe it's, you know, every hour I'm going to stand up and walk around for a minute. It can be something so simple, but if you create a ritual for yourself that is under this self-care umbrella, it goes a long way. One of the important pieces of that is that this is not uncommon. There's a good chance that, especially if you're a community leader, everybody else in your community is dealing with similar challenges. Is your community the kind of community that wouldn't mind trying to do a little self-care checklist together? That could be fun. That kind of segues into a conversation about empowering the members of your community to have more involvement in the leadership and in the running of and growth of the community. Yeah. I think, you know, Tom was so eloquent with it and it's something I feel like that comes up all the time because it's just absolutely fundamental in community. You shouldn't be doing everything. People within your community should be participating. And if participating to them is like, Hey, I'd love to host an event or, you know, people get excited and want to be involved, but also just giving people the space to start conversations and have them. Always a smart move to have more people involved. Community is not a thing to be provided by a person. It's something that might be facilitated by a leader, but the value that people get comes from the people who are in the community. And and your job really is to try to be more of a facilitator than than a giver. You know, hopefully that helps you set yourself up to be in a better place for the long run as well. 100%. We see it in our community a lot and it's, it's wonderful, you know? And at the same time, you're recognizing that, hey, you know, if I'm running this community, it's a business, the people that are becoming empowered, this, this team of power users, they're not necessarily going to be around forever. They're not necessarily going to all show up all the time. It's the nature of volunteers. And so having those roles be clearly defined, really thinking through the flows of, okay, if I'm going to have a volunteer power user member do something, how do I make it very easy for them to keep doing it and very hard for them to want to quit? And at the same time, how do I make it so that they can gracefully exit when it's time for them to, because I can't expect people to volunteer for me forever, you know, in any context. I really love the time cap and that it's 
the expectation is set from the get-go. Like if you're going to be a, you know, a guide or whatever role name you have for these power users, uh, you know, ambassador or whatever, it's three months. Here's the, here's the scope. Here's the criteria. And then whether or not you want to allow people to re-up, if you will, to, to do it again for another three months or whatnot. I just love it. But just also giving them the freedom to do it the way that works best for them and make it fun, right? There's nothing worse than overcomplicating a role. And then it's just, it's work. People don't want to do that. Like you're not paying them. So make it fun. Yeah. We're allowed to have fun, especially if it's something of our own creation. (laughs) Sometimes I think we need to give ourselves permission for that. So let us know what's on your self-care checklist. Let us know how you're giving yourself permission to have fun as you build your community. And um, let us know what's on your mind, how this story reflected for you, how it landed for you. We're at Team SPI on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you. So in the meantime, until next episode, go build community, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you next Tuesday. This has been the Community Experience. For more information on this episode, including links and show notes, head over to smartpassiveincome.com slash listen. All right. You can learn more about Tom Ross and all of his great offerings at tomross.co, T-O-M-R-O-S-S dot C-O. Look out for his community offerings on that personal site. You can also find him on Instagram and on Twitter at Tom Ross Media. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our series producers are David Grabowski and senior producer Sarah Jane Hess. Editing and sound design by Duncan Brown. Music by David Grabowski. See you next time.